Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of The Pragmatic Investor. Today, I am joined by fellow essay contributor, Mike Fay. Mike is an expert in all things crypto and digital assets. And today, we had a great conversation about the future of Bitcoin blockchain. We talked a little bit about the macro outlook as well. Has Bitcoin bottomed and even had some time to talk a little bit about stocks. I really enjoyed this conversation with Mike, as I always do. Uh, please go check him out on Seeking Alpha and, and Substack. And I hope you enjoy this conversation too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of The Pragmatic Investor. I'm joined today by fellow essay contributor Mike, Mike Fay from Blockchain Reaction, aka the heretic speculator on Substack. Hi, Mike. Thanks for coming. You bet. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. All right. So um, if you don't mind, I would just say go ahead and maybe just jump right into it. Um, Bitcoin, has the bottom been struck? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, and uh, I would love it if it has. But, you know, I think what we're seeing right now, uh, honestly, is that at least domestically, um, in the U.S., you have uh, really the payment, you know, the, the fiat to crypto uh, rails are, are being kind of choked. And so what mm -hmm. you're seeing, I think, in crypto is a lot of the stuff, uh, the, the, the fiat that's already in there is kind of finding the cream is rising to the top, so to speak. So Bitcoin uh, has certainly outperformed everything else. You know, the question is, is this a... Uh, not a dead cat bounce, but is this like the relief rally that we probably should have had a long time ago? Because you had the cryptos basically top in November of 21. And then really all through, I would say, the next 12 months uh, fall dramatically, which then I think, you know, the FTX situation was probably, if not the capitulation event, getting us a lot closer to the capitulation event. I mean, when I look at the charts, I could see very easy justification for another leg lower. Um, when I look at the fundamentals, I could also see another leg lower. Uh, but it just all depends. I mean, crypto has been, Bitcoin specifically, it's been a narrative trade for a very long time. And right now, there's a narrative backdrop that works really well for Bitcoin. You know, you've got banks failing, you've got... Uh, a central bank that might be closer to pivoting. So those in that kind of environment, you know, Bitcoin's probably going to do pretty well. It just kind of depends on what the monetary policy looks like. And and it's difficult to predict that. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, it's hard to hard to say right now, but uh, definitely you know, starting during that bank collapse and what you know you might call kind of a orchestrated attack on like you said the the ramps onto crypto no so obviously the the more crypto crypto banks and obviously coinbase back again in the crosshairs of the sec all of these things it is quite interesting to see bitcoin rise in that environment what i've also um uh, been seeing is the idea that if you actually look at the um the liquidity in the crypto market it's a lot right there's a lot, there's a lot less trading going on even though the price has gone up so much that that is actually maybe being kind of um, the price is moving a lot, but being moved by less demand, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think 
you know, what is someone willing to pay for something? And, you know, if you are holding Bitcoin and you value Bitcoin much higher than where the market rate currently has it, and you have, even if it's a small amount of demand, if you don't have that willing seller, the price is just going to continue to go up. And, you know, I have Bitcoin, I have Bitcoin that I've been holding for several years. Am I willing to part with it for $30,000? I would say no, like I, this is the Bitcoin that I have that I've been holding for a long time that I plan to hold for a long time. And yeah, if you want it, you've got to raise your bid a little bit. That's, I think, how a lot of people are probably looking at it. Right. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned before how maybe the, the cream was kind of uh, rising to the top to that extent. I mean, we did see Bitcoin rally. Uh, I mean, I would say over the last few months, I would say Bitcoin has rallied quite a bit more than the altcoins. There was maybe a bit more of an outperformance of the outcoins maybe, I don't know, four or five months ago. I mean, I know some of them are up quite a bit. Um, how do you see this moving forward? Do you think that maybe out-season could be upon us or perhaps not? Or, you know, could this maybe be a, a big change where, you know, Bitcoin begins to really just outperform all the other outs given all the kind of regulatory concerns and maybe... Um, I think... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good question. Um, I, I think it depends on which asset it is, to be honest, because um, if you look at if you look at what some of these things did after January, it looked like we had a lot of maybe tax loss selling uh, or something of that nature into the end of the year. And then since January, you have some of these assets are up like 200 or 300 um, percent. Some of them are riding a narrative as well. Uh, you know, uh, you've got stuff that's benefiting from AI. Um, but then you also have things that have been price-wise really, really sold down for a long time. And you've got assets that have been sold off by you know, 90 to 95% over the course of the last year and a half that are sort of important uh, as infrastructure plays that I think those things will probably outperform. Um, you know, will you see all of the dog coins make it through this? No, I don't think so. But will stuff that has been sold down quite a bit uh, catch a bid? I, I think there's a few of those that will work pretty well. Um, and those are the things that I think that we try to find. Um, but not everything. No, no way. Right. I mean, yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I think obviously there's been a lot of excess. And, you know, even if we are, we are talking about a Fed that's maybe you know getting ready to pivot at some point obviously i think probably the uh the peak of that kind of a uh, easy money could be could be behind us it's possible right? yeah yeah yeah, and yeah. Also, go yeah. ahead sorry no yeah and also perhaps i feel like maybe the narrative to an extent is changing we might see that separation between bitcoin and some of the um the other coins where bitcoin is no longer just kind of grouped into the other coins as you know more of a speculative play but rather more that kind of a store of value that kind of you know insurance against the bank failures and perhaps to that extent kind of um taking I would, that, that actual role. i would agree because you know i when the banking stuff was happening i'm thinking about it as a depositor right and you know when i need to get cash out to go do something fun with my family at like a farmer's market or something i have a regional bank that i work with and the regionals looked like, okay, if we're going to have a big problem here, the regionals might be the next ones that are going to, you know, start to fall down. And I'm thinking to myself as a depositor, do I have to go get this cash out 
And if so, you know, what am I doing with it? <laughs> like, like, I don't want to, I don't want to sit in cash either. Like, and if I need to be able to transact with somebody who's not in the same physical jurisdiction that I am, or I'm not, you know, a drive away, then what can I hold? You know, Bitcoin's probably the safest thing. And, you know, I think that's the sort of thing that people are thinking about. Not everybody, you know, it's not the majority of people are not thinking that way, but I think some people who think through these things, uh, at least a small portion of them are looking at, okay, Bitcoin is something that maybe stores value, maybe allows me to transact without banking rails. I probably want to have exposure to that. And if I don't already, I might need to think about it now because I'm not sure the banks are going to make it through whatever this is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of you know, storing your, your wealth in other vehicles, I was talking uh, in the last podcast to uh, Brett, and he's le less of a crypto guy. Hey, sorry. You I still there? Yeah. Yeah, it's so it's a bit uh, patchy. I'm actually in my village, so um, I'm at the I'm at the bar, kind of trying to oh fun you know, get a, get get a good internet connection. Yeah, it's actually no, it's actually quite funny. My uh, grandmother lives. My grandmother's street is named after a cryptocurrency. Which one? Sol it's Solana. That's a sign. You gotta get. You gotta go long soul. <laughs> yeah, right. Which well, of course, in Spanish, it kind of well, soul means sun. So yeah. I guess I guess that's why it's named that. But, um, yeah. Anyway, well. Oh, I'll edit this out yet. Um, what was I? Yeah, so anyway, I was talking to Brett in the last podcast, and he was talking kind of the same idea, but saying, well, you know, instead of holding cash, well, you can just hold his stocks, right? Because at least with a stock, uh, you also own part of a company, right? Whereas the cash, you, I mean, you don't even own the cash, right? The cash they lend out, I mean, I guess I wonder if, if your bank, would like, you know, typical kind of, if you have your, your stocks in Charles Schwab and Schwab, which obviously has been talked a lot about, if that goes under, I mean, this, are this, would the stocks be fine in there? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. Uh, I don't know how any of that works. I know that you've got FDIC insurance or bank deposits, and then there's a different entity that that backs kind of like the uh, the investment assets, like stocks and uh, and I think commodities too. But similar to the FDIC, I don't think there's nearly enough uh, of that insurance to to back everything. So <clears throat> then you're talking about you know, the same situation that you have with the banking deposits, I would say, look, like, would you rather be in equities or would you rather be in something that you can actually hold and control? I would say you probably want something that you can hold and control. Like, I think that with all things, you don't need to put your eggs in one basket. And that's the beauty of trying to manage your wealth uh, in a responsible way. Like, look, I like crypto. I cover crypto. I like Bitcoin. Some people don't put those two things in the same category, but at the end of the day, I have more gold and silver than all of that. Like, because I can physically touch it and I can physically hand it to somebody. Bitcoin works better in some respects, you know, than, than gold does. It, it does. It's easier to move around globally. Um, but, you know, if it's dollars versus stocks, like, okay, great. That's fine. I can understand that. Then which stocks? Because if we have serious economic problems, which stocks do you want to go long? Mm -hmm. You know, Mike Green has said that if you have rising interest rates continue, you get to a certain rate level and as much as 20% of the S&P 500 is insolvent. So that's, wow. that's, that's a serious problem. You don't want to be long stocks in that situation. 
Yeah, that's a that's a scary notion. I mean, perhaps certain stocks, but obviously you have to you have to be careful. That's why I've been lately sort of looking more into kind of um kind of assets that maybe uh, outperformed a bit more during that kind of maybe nineteen seventies regime where inflation was a bit higher. And you would see uh, value stocks, of course, uh, performing a bit better. Maybe some of the international equities also uh, giving us a bit of diversification from the dollar. Could be a good idea. Maybe, um, what are yeah. your thoughts on that? Because obviously, uh, a lot of news lately on the dollar. Obviously, um, I believe it was uh, Saudi Arabia starting to trade in yuan. And, of course, gold rising so much. And pretty much an overwhelming consensus now that the dollar is, at least in the short term, heading lower. Uh, any Any thoughts on that? On the dollar going down, dollar, you know, deglobalization or de-dollarization, so to Sorry, speak. That was, a, that was a bit of a loaded question. I guess we could <laughs> we should break it down a little bit. Um, yeah, basically, uh, first of all, the the de-dollarization and and yeah, the the outlook for the dollar, the dollar I going down. That, I think that we have been hearing from people for a very long time that we're in de-dollarization and de-dollarization is happening and. You know, I started watching Mike Maloney and guys like him a decade ago talking about, you know, the different financial systems and they generally take 40 to 50 years and they change and you had Bretton Woods and then you had, uh, you know, something completely different, not completely different, but something different in 71 where you go from having one fiat currency that's backed by gold to then having no fiat currencies that are backed by gold. And that's a, a little sleight of hand, but it's still a change in, in how the monetary system works. I would say, you know, is the dollar still the global reserve currency today? Yes. Is it going to be the global reserve currency tomorrow? Yes. Will it be the global reserve currency a year from now? Probably, probably, but I don't know beyond that 10 years. I don't know. I would say probably not, <laughs> but you know, we've, We've like I, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is we've heard these prognostications about death of the dollar for a very long time, and I would say, has the dollar not been going down in perpetuity from a purchasing power standpoint for decades? And if that's the way that you choose to measure it, then it's been going down for a long time, and don't worry so much about how it compares to other fiat currencies. Because in the end, all the fiat currencies probably will fail, <laughs> right? And then yeah. it doesn't really matter what the DXY is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think even if the Saudis start buying dollars in uh, in yuan, I don't, I don't think it's a particularly good idea to go ahead and put all your money in that. You know? Agreed. Totally agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, just you're just buying. It's kind of like buying a stake in a in a country, really, to an extent, and. I mean, every every country has its problems. That's that's for sure. No, it's unless true. you have Bitcoin, of course. Which... Yes, you could be El Salvador and go all in with the BTC. But like <laughs> you know, people, I think people just need to be aware of what's happening, and they need to be mindful of things that are happening in the global economy. And look, you need fiat to pay your bills, like you still do. So people can't just get rid of fiat. And people telling you. You know, if you're a, a, just a typical retail investor, anyone saying, hey, the dollar is going to die, uh, it's already going, you know, you need to get everything that you have into this other thing, probably don't listen to that. I mean, take, take input from multiple sources and then put yourself in a position where you don't have all of your eggs in a single basket. And remember that I still need fiat to pay my internet bill, so I'll have some fiat so I can pay my internet bill. 
and I can pay my groceries with fiat. But then, no, I don't think that I'm going to use it as a store of value, though. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Whenever I hear the the uh, the old narrative of of the uh, dollar, um, you know, kind of falling out of grace, I always think about a uh, Peter Schiff. He's a uh, He's been he's been on about that set for the last twenty years. I mean, he could have been right. tweeting the same for the last fifteen years. I don't think his points of view have changed at all. Yeah, I, you know, and it's funny because I like Peter. I listen to Peter's podcast from time to time, and Absolutely. you know, I think that he has a lot of great points. Where has he been completely wrong? Bitcoin. I mean, the guy's been saying Bitcoin's going to zero basically since he started covering it, and it's been years, years. You know, there's. There's an app, I think, that you can uh, incorporate, you know, your Bitcoin wallet address with it. And anytime he mentions Bitcoin, it buys a little bit of Bitcoin for you. <laughs> because when he says it's going to zero and it's doomed and get out, you know, it might be an indicator that it's a good time to buy it. But I mean, the point is, is you just I think that people need to be mindful of I don't you don't need to put everything in one bet. Like if you do that and you're right, you could make a lot of money, but like you don't need to do that. It's just so much more constructive to think about things the way that a normal person does. <laughs> and what is the normal person likely to do? And is the normal person likely to just sell everything and go 100% into gold? Of course not. Like, you know what I'm saying? Right. No, absolutely. I mean, that, and that is exactly why I'm kind of, you know, trying to pivot a little bit from just crypto and just, yeah, try and give a more holistic approach to um, a bit more sort of wide covering investment advice. Because like you say, it's at the end of the day, it's all about uh, being well diversified and, and protected from, from anything. Because I guess you might even say, yeah, creating kind of an, an anti-fragile portfolio, something that is yeah. liable to, well, to all of these shenanigans. I mean, because, you know, right. even, even crypto isn't immune. I mean, I don't know, I guess... Quantum computing will take down Bitcoin someday. They say. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the other thing is when you get into, you know, quantum computing, how many of these cryptos are quantum secure? I don't even know. Like, can it be, can, we've heard that Algorand might be quantum secure. We've heard that there are certain zero knowledge proof technologies that could be quantum secure, but Bitcoin, I mean, probably not. Right. How easy is it to crack a seed phrase if you have a quantum computer? Yeah, I don't know. Well, we don't really know yet because I guess they, they don't quite exist yet. Right. Um, interestingly, you were mentioning Algorand before we were talking. Um, anything you would like to mention about it on the podcast? You said you were working on a piece about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so the funny thing about crypto Twitter is that it's just you know, the, the characters are so great. And, um, for instance, uh, Gary Gensler was giving an MIT speech, uh, like three years ago before he was the SEC chair. And with that, in that speech, he started talking about Algorand and how Algorand, uh, his, you know, good tech and Silvio Macaulay is the, is the guy who started developing it, created it. And he's, uh, an MIT guy who's won a Turing Award for you know cryptographic prowess, and then you have you know the Bitrex situation come out here a couple of days ago, and in this they say that Algorand is a security. So, could you, um, could you give us a little um, 
background on the Bitrex situation? Bitrex is a crypto exchange that has the SEC served at a Wells notice. They've basically said they're going to curtail all their U.S. operations. Um, This is something that had been in the works for a while, but as part of that, they, you know, when the SEC serves these Wells notices to exchanges, and they did this also with Kraken, I believe, you know, they basically say you're providing unregistered securities. And so with Kraken's example, it was the staking as a service that their product that they were giving customers, the SEC claims that's a security. And in the Bitrex situation, uh, among others, Algorand, they deemed the SEC deemed a security as part of that uh, engagement with Bitrex. Bitrex has, like I said, is leaving the U.S. market. Um, But as part of the Bitrex fiasco, you know, you have another crypto that is overtly being claimed to be a security. And this is something that Gary Gensler was talking very positively about just three years ago before he was the SEC chair. So you have people on crypto Twitter who create songs, create memes, create videos, do all these hilarious things, you know, basically saying that Gary Gensler needs to give himself a fine because he was shilling Algo and then he decided (laughs) that Algo is a security. Uh, It's just, you know, crypto Twitter is amazing. It's people's uh, imaginations are hilarious. Absolutely. Whoever says crypto has no real real life value hasn't hasn't been on crypto Twitter and enjoyed all the uh, all the great banter that that stems from it. Beautifully put. Yes. <laughs> Who knows? This this may still be the biggest uh, biggest bull trap ever. It's we'll, possible. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> well, do you do you remember the the 2017 cycle? So in 2017 in December it went all the way up to like 19 and change. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin did. And then it came back down to like four or five thousand dollars, and then it rallied again all the way to like fourteen thousand before it fully bottomed out below four. So mm-hmm. we've seen in cycles before you you do get that big recovery, that big relief rally, but it there there is probably another sell off coming, you know. Absolutely true. Yeah, that's actually my my latest piece on Bitcoin kind of addressed that issue. Basically, just like you say, kind of looking at a mirror image. And even trying to look, you know, proportionally, kind of where this rally could end. If you look at the cycles, there's always that kind of normally there's that there's bit, there's that bit of a pump, then a bit of a kind of consolidation, but also kind of a sell off. Right. It was kind of accelerated with the COVID, uh, with all the COVID stuff back in 2019. But then you get the the, the pre halving and then you get the the rally with the halving, but. Then of course you've got to always ask that question. I mean, everyone's looking for that rally and the halving now. Everyone's so prepared. I mean, are we just gonna, you know, is it gonna be more of a sell the news and just Bitcoin, you know, just crashes as soon as the halving takes takes place? Yeah, is it priced in already? Because we all already know it. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, certainly yeah, possible. Good. I know that. Like, I I like looking at the public miners because I think that they're great trades, and mm-hmm. you know, I think that when you have a rally in the underlying like we are seeing right now you're going to have some of these miners outperform and and i think that you know you look for those and you can ride those but long term i mean the having is going to decrease their revenue by 50 percent if everything else stays equal and that doesn't count exahash growth like hash rate you know global hash rate growth over time diminishes all of these 
the return on all these mining rigs and they're using all this energy to burn through uh you know these machines which have a very low shelf life compared to a typical consumer computer they're not great businesses (laughs) like so you know but and that gets to the question of well if these things are all if it takes ever increasing Bitcoin prices to make these things solvent, then, you know, what is that price? And is that worth it? Is it necessary? Like, do you, do you need this? Basically Um, it makes you think, okay, then proof of stake, does that make more sense? Okay. But if proof of stake is going to be attacked by the SEC for being a security, um, then you can't look at that either. It's just, it's all very, very uh, difficult to navigate, but you know, all we can do is our best trying to figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually listening to um, reading a document the other day that talked about how, yeah, basically the um, how the miners basically act as a basically as a floor for the Bitcoin price, kind of in a in a kind of complex roundabout way. So somehow saying, well, because of the halving, because now. You know, it's going to be more expensive for them now. That means that Bitcoin can't actually go any lower, kind of. Right. In that sort of market way. Yeah. But um, it, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 no. Well, it's yeah. I mean, it just it depends on how you value the network, right? Mm-hmm. And and if you don't have anybody who finds value, if you run out of people who find value in what Bitcoin the network is then it gets more difficult to sell the issuance at a price where the machine, you know, the miner is solvent. And so yes, like ideally the miners create a floor for Bitcoin, but if you, if, if Bitcoin's network loses that, I guess that, uh, if the public trust in Bitcoin as a viable network goes away and that's certainly possible then mm-hmm. you know then the minor floor can conceivably get lower because then if the price goes down you have miners who have to come offline and there is this feedback loop where if more ha- if more mining goes offline because it's not profitable to run a mine then the then the price comes down and you know over time the miners who are the have the healthiest balance sheets will survive but I don't think anything is guaranteed, you know? Absolutely. That kind of a um, good transition into the next thing I, w- I wanted to talk about because um, I have noticed that you've written a bit about the miners recently. I saw you have an article on Seeking Alpha with Marathon as a hold. And then more recently, yeah. you wrote about uh, CleanSpark. Is that, that's also yeah. a miner, right? Yeah, CleanSpark, I think, is the most recent one, yeah. Which is a buy. You rate it as a buy. And I was just wondering kind of... What goes a little bit into your head when you kind of look at comparing those miners? And I mean, you've kind of mentioned it a bit already in, in the last few. Yeah, uh, I think talking points. my process when I look at the public miners is I want to see miners that don't have a lot of debt. Uh, so I look at the debt to equity ratios. I want to see miners that have strong treasury holdings of BTC. Because right. if we buy the notion that BTC is going to go up, then you know that mm-hmm. BTC backstops the market cap, which you know creates the higher share price. Ultimately, should BTC rise, and then I want to see a miner 
that has a decent hash rate ex- or you know exahash uh, every month, at least some sort of stability. Um, for Marathon, I actually rated Marathon a sell about six months ago because I thought that in the calamity of everything happening, Marathon had a lot of debt and that was going to potentially be a problem if the price kept going down. The hold was basically just an upgrade saying, I don't think it's a sell anymore. I think it will survive. Um, mm-hmm. But there are other miners that I like better, of which CleanSpark is one. Why do I like CleanSpark? Uh, debt to equity is not too bad compared to other miners in the space. Although the treasury holdings of CleanSpark have diminished over the last year, they were able to double their stack uh, from February to March. And their their hash rate, their monthly hash rate is top five. So they're one of the top five miners by monthly hash. And they're the most efficient by monthly hash uh, by far. So when you talk about, okay, which miner is going to benefit the most from a immediate increase in Bitcoin's price, I think CleanSpark is going to do better than Marathon. I think CleanSpark is going to do better than a lot of other public miners as well. I mean, so far, the the miners that I have covered publicly that I've called a buy have done better than the sector. If you compare my buy picks to like the BitQ or Bitwise Innovators ETF, like I'm doing much better than those than those other than the, than the industry. Um, and you know, my process is pretty simple: low debt, who can produce a lot of Bitcoin and before the halving, and who has the who has the possibility of producing a stack, a Bitcoin stack that's meaningful going into the halving, and. Mm-hmm. You know, there are only a handful that I think are there. Uh, there may be like fifteen to twenty public Bitcoin miners, and I think that maybe four or five are worth holding. Right? Yeah, I mean that absolutely makes perfect sense. You know, sometimes investing can be can be simple. You know, just look at those look at those facts, and like you say, if mm-hmm. the underlying issue is you know belief is that Bitcoin price is going to go up, then that's what you got to look for. Right. Um. We recently had the uh, Ethereum, uh, you know, Shanghai Chappella upgrade. Yep. Well, they, they they mixed those up, didn't they? It was Shanghai Chappella, and then it became Chappella. Right. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, those developers on Ethereum—they're pretty funny. <laughs> Maybe they're Dave Chappelle fans. I don't know. Could be. <laughs> uh, just I don't know. Any any thoughts on that Ethereum staking? Uh, what this means moving forward, and of course, what well, kind of into the crypto regulation once again and all those problems. Yeah, I, I think that it's good, uh, generally speaking. I think that um, my view going back several months was that Shanghai or the ability to withdraw from stake, my view has been that that will be a de-risking moment and that we'll mm-hmm. be able to see more ETH eventually come into stake. What's been challenging that uh, lately is that the net stake flow has actually been negative last time i checked i didn't check it today but mm-hmm. uh net flow has been negative but a big reason for that is because of entities like kraken so kraken had i believe like seven percent of staking share uh going mm-hmm. into shanghai and if kraken is going to completely remove the eth that it has in stake from stake that's going to be uh you know quite a bit of eth that has to come out. And what we're seeing already is that Kraken has been taking some out. It doesn't mean that Kraken's whole 
uh, deposit will come out because I would imagine that Kraken as a business wants to have some ETH in stake uh, for its own purposes. But any ETH that is in that stake through Kraken that belongs to customers of Kraken who want it out has to come out. And so ultimately, I think it's good that we're seeing that the Ethereum developers are able to achieve these things, the merge, you know, Shanghai. Uh, I think they've done a nice job. I think that ETH has been de-risked, even if you haven't seen more ETH go into stake immediately. The price has gone up, which I think is good. And mm. and if you think about it, you know, really simply again, um, if ETH is a synthetic commodity because it's the gas token used for DeFi and NFTs and domains and all these things that live on Ethereum. If you have more of that going into stake and the issuance is low from that stake, then the natural supply demand mechanics push the price of ETH higher as long as that demand exists. And that's kind of the bet on ETH. Mm-hmm. Right, of course, yeah. I mean, definitely, like you say, I think it's quite conducive to the price of Ethereum. One concern that was raised a while ago was that if you looked at um, some of the, because uh, obviously a lot of the people aren't staking Ethereum individually, they're using platforms. And I believe at some point it was like uh, Lido Finance or one of these having like over half of the staking of Ethereum, which, you know, obviously could pose some kind of, um, you know, issues with the, the idea of centralization. Correct. Yeah, I think that if the Ethereum community wants to avoid, you know, these these uh, single point of failure attack vectors, um, mm-hmm. then yeah, it, it would behoove the Ethereum community to decentralize their their staking as a service protocols. And I think that people should look to other things. I think Lido is great. I think the service that the entity provides is good. That thirty two ETH minimum is. Uh, difficult for the normal retail investor, if not impossible for the normal retail investor to do on their own. So pooled staking services, liquid staking services, those things are all great. But I would advise that, you know, if you're an ETH person and you want to see ETH succeed, you probably don't want to see Lido do get much more of that share. You probably want to see things like Rocket Pool. You probably want to see other, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, on-chain protocols get more of that share. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Rocket Pool definitely a, an interesting one, and one that I've been uh, been looking at lately as a yeah, potential. Yeah, let me just disclose hold. too. I'm I'm actually long RPL. I I have Rocket Pool RPL, so I'll get that out of the way right now. I'm talking my book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm on the I'm on the same boat. Yeah. <laughs> um. So um yeah, uh, talking about the Ethereum um. Ethereum network, you mentioned, of course, that uh, a lot of the stuff that goes on there is obviously DeFi, NFTs. Uh, obviously, that was very big during the crypto bull run. Um, how do you view these kind of two trends uh, moving forward into what could possibly be uh, the, the next coming bull market? Yeah, I think that every every bull market, we get like a new kind of trade narrative, right? Like, mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know if DeFi summer comes back or if, if NFTs are the thing again. Um, it seems like this is the year of the of the uh, ZK EVM or the zero knowledge Ethereum virtual machine. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, you've got a lot of just like those ZK EVM networks like StarkNet or ZK Sync. Uh, Polygon now has one as well, mm-hmm. where it allows people to, to not do as much, uh, not put as much information on chain. So it allows them to do more transaction throughput, a little bit more privacy baked in as well. You know, I think that we could see something like that kind of be a, a driving narrative and, and kind of like the layer two scaling chains maybe are are the big trade of 2023. Um, but, you know, DeFi, as far as I can t- tell from, you know, some of the TVL metrics is chugging along. NFTs, I think, when you get past all the silly stuff, um, there is a value to NFTs. It's just a digital ownership certificate. Um, I think that we will see things be NFTs and not call them NFTs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a pretty that's a base case bet for me, actually. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so you know, I, every like I said, every cycle has its narrative, and I don't really know what this one will be. But I think that the things that have come into the ecosystem i don't think they're really going anywhere they just might not be what drives the next cycle mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and you touched there on a point that i think we also uh, uh talked about in our last podcast which is those um like you said the zero knowledge uh evms the polygon which i think last time we talked about and how yeah, basically i think it's uh those scaling solutions for ethereum could definitely uh be a, be a good play moving forward yeah yeah i think so you know i think that what you have to be careful of with these things is that um, I, I, as just a general idea, don't care as much about governance. Um, so, like, I'm not long the Arbitrum token. I'm not long the Optimism token. Um, mm-hmm. I think that you want to see things have utility that you want uh, to use. So, you know, I like Maddox specifically because not on the ZKEVM chain, but on the proof of stake chain. The Matic token is the gas, and so you need it to do transactions. Um, if I were in a community and really deep into it, then yes, I want a governance. Like that makes sense to me. But if I'm just a passive investor who wants to buy and hold something and not actually work with it, um, then yeah, some of the stuff isn't that interesting. I don't really care as much about governance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and absolutely. Even, yeah, yeah. Even, to a degree. I mean, the governance. We've seen several times uh, in crypto that governance is kind of a sh- it's kind of a ruse. Like, um, you know, you had that that first Arbitrum Arb vote went very poorly, uh, mm-hmm. and you had Uniswap get. And I covered this for Seeking Alpha. You know, Uniswap as a protocol was doing things that I thought probably should have been voted on, and they weren't. And so, if you buy Uni because of the governance, then you know, are you actually getting what you're paying for? So it, these are just things that I think that, you know, crypto has a lot of, uh, there's, there's a lot of things in it. There's a lot of industries that the space touches, but it, they're all very difficult to value, uh, which is partially why it's a very exciting ecosystem. But, you know, there's not, uh, you just, if you're in the space and you're interested in these tokens, you've just got to be very careful about why you're buying something. And if you're buying it for number go up, there are better reasons to buy something. And you just, like I said, you just gotta, you gotta be very careful. Right. Exactly. Do your own research as, as they say, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Right. <laughs> um, all right. So perhaps moving on a little bit from crypto and just to wrap up, 
because I am running out of battery here. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so basically, just wanted to talk a little bit about what your opinions are, what your view is of the uh, maybe the more macro environment, the uh, kind of um, stocks in general, Fed policy, that kind of stuff, moving into the next few months. Yeah, I think that you know if you're going to keep rates high, um, then most risk assets are probably going to struggle. Um, I look at, you know, someone like my sister who's in her mid thirties, young 30, uh, low, low thirties, who is trying to buy a home. And I see six and a half percent, 30 year mortgage rate, home valuations at an all time high, you know, that's a problem. Um, mm -hmm. you know, do we see home prices come down uh, to, you know, a place where there's real demand? Maybe. If that happens, then um, you know you have a reverse wealth effect where people stop buying things because they see that their paper valuation on their computer is going down. And if their paper weight, you know, wealth is going down, uh, then they don't buy as many things, and that's probably bad for the broader economy. So I think we're in a we're in a situation where we've been uh, kind of in and we've been in need of ever cheaper debt and every lower priced credit and you know if we're going to realistically seriously unwind that it you know i don't see a soft landing i guess is that's what i'm trying to say i think that things could be pretty rough for a while right yeah i mean definitely agree at least partly with that I mean, what do you think about because obviously like you say kind of in that Bad situation where, yeah, we've needed that uh, cheaper and cheaper debt. I mean, how likely do you think the Fed is to just cave? And if they do cave sooner rather than later, I mean, obviously, are they just going to take that trade off maybe? Just like say, well, okay, we'll lower rates and just tolerate higher inflation? I think that they're going to do whatever they have to to make it look like they didn't pivot. <laughs> <laughs> uh so if that's like you know you've got a link in the sink but you just leave the faucet on anyway like <laughs> you've got you've got the liquidity coming in and it's still just dropping out the bottom like i think that they're going to try to do something like that i don't know if it'll work but um you know i'm glad i'm not the one who has to decide these things <laughs> yeah absolutely it's a it's a challenging it's definitely going to be some challenging time for equities, I think, I mean, my main view at this point is I think that, you know, whilst I think that Bitcoin could have found a bottom, although we will have that probably acute sell-off and, you know, maybe coinciding with that kind of recession, recession that is predicted, I think that uh, stocks could actually, you know, more likely at this point make a new low and to that extent, Bitcoin and crypto perhaps outperform a little bit. I, I tend to see it the same way. Mm-hmm. And just to wrap up, uh, talking about stocks, because you do, you are on Substack, and I believe you focus more on stocks there, as yeah, the uh, heretic speculator. Um, yeah. What is your approach? What kind of uh, sectors are you into? What, what kind of? So right now, I'm basically staying away from financials. I'm staying away from um, tech. Um, I'm in basically materials, um, I'm in consumer discretionary, but in, you know, in capacities where consumers are trading down, mm -hmm. what I mean by trading down is I'm one of my big holdings is, uh, Molson cores. Thank God it wasn't bud. Um, <laughs> but one of, one of my big holdings is Molson cores. And, and the thesis there is, you know, 
we've had a big boom in craft beer and craft breweries for about a decade domestically. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that you're going to see a lot of those microbreweries and local breweries are going to really struggle. Um, And so if that happens, unless people stop drinking alcohol, which has is possible, um, especially as people wisen up to how bad it is for you. Uh, But, you know, history would indicate that alcohol sales actually do very well uh, in bad times. And so if you have alcohol sales continuing and people are still buying beer and you have less craft competitors, I think Molson Coors gets very interesting. Uh, It also Mm -hmm. pays a dividend, I think like two and a half percent. So that's one of my big holdings. um, And it's a down trading idea. You know, there are other ideas that are similar. Uh, one of the streamers I like that's been getting absolutely massacred uh, is Curiosity Stream. Uh, a lot of issues there, but that stock's basically trading at cash now. So I, I don't, I wouldn't be selling it down here. Um, that's the ticker Curie. I hold that one, Q, uh, C-U-R-I. Um, so I talked about Molson Coors is TAP, T-A-P. Curiosity Stream is C-U-R-I. But, but my... My general thinking is I want to be in equities that are probably going to be okay in a recession. Um, and so that's, that's kind of my approach. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I guess if you can't go on holiday, then get it blasted, get it, getting blasted in your basement is a good substitute for that. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to drink uh, high life and watch curiosity stream. Go <laughs> <laughs> drown your sorrows somehow and just. Exactly. Forget about those impossibly high prices and mortgage rates. Right, right. <laughs> All right, Mike. Well, as always, it's been uh, it's been lovely talking to you. Um, just go ahead and uh, let everyone know where they can find you. Sure. Yeah. So my uh, Substack is Faybomb, which is f a y b o m b dot Substack dot com. Uh, I write on there generally a couple times a week. And uh, I do most of my work through Seeking Alpha. So just my name is Mike Fay, M-I-K-E-F-A-Y. You can find me on there. And if you're interested in crypto broadly as an idea, um, my subs- my Seeking Alpha investor group is Blockchain Reaction. And uh, I generally post about three or four times per week there. So that's where you can find me. And also uh, active on Twitter as well. I tried it, yeah, a little bit on Twitter. Uh, Faybom on Twitter as well, F-A-Y-B-O-M-B. Uh, you know, Twitter's fun. It's uh, I'm more of a lurker on Twitter, though. I like to follow a lot of people. Yeah, same. It's a great source of information and entertainment. No doubt about it. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. We're getting the chimes. Uh, telling us time. That's, yeah. that's the time. Yeah. All right, Mike. Great talking to you, and uh, you see was- you next time. You as well. Take care. Thanks for having me again.